Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming and theatrical releases maybe a couple times a year. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and we have five movies for you today. Eternals, Dune, Passing, The Harder They Fall, and Titan. And as always, we're going to rate those movies on a three-tiered scale, with binge it being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess, or for recording your podcast more often than once every three months. Wow, has it been that long? I was startled earlier today because I went to go update the we have a shared tracker we use for all of our episode uh, scripts. And I was like, let me just create a new row for the today's episode. And let's see. Oh, here's the most recent one. What's the date on it? August 15th. What? Oh, that can't be right. And yet. And I, I was like, let me look in the feed. Let me look in the feed. <laughs> Surely our, our something has happened to our tracker. It has, it's filled with misinformation. And then sure <laughs> enough, yes, our most recent episode is from August, when which we reviewed The Suicide Squad. <laughs> Whoa, wow. You know, the yeah. thing that feels weird to me is that it feels weirder that it's November. I'm like, yeah, August 15th. What was that, like two weeks ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, t- time has sped up in a strange way. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know how. But like these last three months have been a blur. Um, and I did not I did not knowingly have us go three months without an episode. I, we had a few false starts along the way. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so sorry to our um, our listener, perhaps singular, uh, <laughs> mainly Christian. Uh, hi, Christian. Sorry. Uh, Christian checks in every now and then, asks oh, if we are still he? in these. Sorry, Christian. <laughs> oh, also, I want to say uh, I'm making Portland. Sorry. 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 Mm-hmm. Very sorry. This is, we, uh, yeah, we just kind of really lost track of time. Um, I mean, and... have any movies come out that we've missed? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think there have probably been a few. Um, but it, it's also been, you know, just kind of like this, this continued kind of bizarre transitional moment where, you know, there are a lot of movies that are being released only theatrical uh, and, you know, and, and, you know, we kind of are not fully on the same page about going to theaters. Like I, I throw caution to the wind. You're still being very safe. So, you know, it's harder to find enough movies to do a whole episode about where we can both watch them. Um, and, but now, now we, we have enough. We found enough. We're doing we found it. Enough. Just collect them over time. Now like, we have five. Like, like infinity stones. <laughs> wow, nice segue. <laughs> yes. Um, but in terms of what uh, has been up with us, Rebecca. Oh yeah, I didn't ask you. you. How would you how would you, how would you summarize the last three months of your life since uh, since we last uh, did this? Um, you know, uh, things. Um, I don't know. <laughs> We saw each other. Oh, is that that happened? Oh yeah, we saw each other. That happened. Um, only once. It's the only time Just, we've seen each other. Yeah, well, I mean, since the last episode, we also saw each other Memorial Day. Oh right, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Did, did not speak to each other, though. You never uh, know. <laughs> did, not, did not really talk out of time. Uh, but we are, but we were around each other. And yeah, that's what none of that was impactful, I guess. Memorable. <laughs> um, I mean, nothing has been. I don't know what's happened since August. I don't know what's happened with you. <laughs> How dare you oh. ask what's up with me? What's up with you? <laughs> well, at least tell, tell us your Halloween costume, at the very least. Okay. Um, Sol and I went as Armand and Dylan from White Lotus. Wonderful. And your costume was, <laughs> wow, once again, Scott pulling through. He is really a craft master. It's, yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible every single year. Uh, I looked at the photos and I was like, wait a minute, how, is it for sale somewhere? I, explain <laughs> the costume, explain the costume. I was, I was just imp- so impressed again. Well, and I think also, speaking of your costume, the funny thing is, I think our last episode before this one begins with us being like, tonight is the finale of the White Lotus. Ah, don't tell me what's oh, going to wow. happen. So, uh, yeah. so now now we know what happened. Um, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that was that. Um, but uh, mine and Scott's costume was also from a TV show starring Molly Shannon. <laughs> uh <laughs> Ours was the other two, um, which is on HBO Max. Uh, the first season was on Comedy Central. Now it's on HBO Max. And I was dressed up as Molly Shannon's character, Pat Dubeck, uh, mom to a superstar teen pop son. Um, and then she becomes a talk show host in the second season. And then Scott was my superstar son, Chase Dreams. And so, uh, so we had... A good time putting those costumes together, uh, and Scott did a lot of custom work on his uh, to make it look like the very, very ridiculous outfit that Chase wears to his fashion line unveiling. Uh, so, uh, and we once again had a, a, a great deal of enthusiasm from the people who make the show, which was great. Oh, nice. Uh, so it was, uh, it was another, another, we, we, we thought we might sit out Halloween this year. We just kind of weren't really finding our muse, you know, it just wasn't, nothing was really speaking to us, you know, obviously it's been another tough year and, uh, and we just, nothing was really calling our name and we're just like, well, you know what? You can't force it. You can't, uh, you can't, you know, if you're, if you're Tori Amos and the muses don't come to you on the stage, you just sit there quietly. And, uh, so <laughs> we were like, this might just be us being quiet Tori, but no. No, it came through. So it all came together in the end. And really, that's the most important thing that happened since our last episode was Halloween. So I feel mm-hmm. like uh, that catches us up. Here we are now, barely a week from Thanksgiving time. <laughs> time. <laughs> what, even, what even is it? Uh, but speaking of time moving strangely, our first movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Eternals. The Eternals, a race of immortal beings with superhuman powers who have secretly lived on Earth for thousands of years, reunite to battle the evil deviants. <laughs> which, which when you when you just read it out loud like that, and just if you have no context, it sounds very judgy, like the evil deviants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're called the deviants. I know. I'm just without seeing you like the capital D deviants. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, right. Mm-hmm. That is true. Yeah. Exactly. We're not 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 going after you know the the gays, uh, but no. <laughs> <laughs> but the cat, or at least not the Palm Springs gays. Um, no. But uh, but no. Uh, now this this is uh, 
you know, this is a big one. This is Marvel. This is your domain. Uh, you you braved your way to a theater. Uh, I'll be an empty early morning one uh, to go uh, to go see this. Uh, were you you were you excited for this one? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I was. We did wait to see it until you know, like I don't know if there are crowds now still when movies come out. So we waited a, a little bit after it came out. So I had already had some vibes about what people thought about it. Um, I have to say I wasn't as excited about this one, even kind of coming before the early reviews were out. And I think it was just like the casting. I I didn't understand how that was going to work. Um, and now having seen the movie, I still don't. How about you? <laughs> you you are, are married to a, a real Marvel head. Um what what were you and Scott thinking about this one before it came out? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I was excited for it, and and just just so I'm my own recollection is fresh. This is the first Marvel movie since Black Widow. Is that right? Shang Chi would be the. Oh, that's right, Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. And then did you did we we didn't review Shang Chi? Um, I don't think we did. Or Shang Shang Chi because he goes by Sean, right? Right. So did you Shang-Chi. did you did you did you did you end up seeing it? I did end up seeing it. I ended up uh, purchasing it. I think on Disney. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what you what did you, you think of that one? That was that was a fun ride. Um, I really enjoyed. I feel like it, you know, had a very familiar Marvel vibe to it in that it was, you know, kind of um, the action was amazing. Um, it still had that kind of ridiculous humor that I was kind of expecting, you know, from Aquafina being part of the cast, but um, Ben Kingsley (laughs) uh, (laughs) was was a surprise uh, that was just really delightful. Um, There was a big plot hole in that, I believe, that was a little hard to to understand. And then that kind of led to the next movie, The Eternals, which I think is just uh, a landmine of of plot holes. (laughs) Right, more, more, more hole than plot. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I loved Shang Chi. Mm-hmm. I I really had a great time with that movie. Uh, I thought that it was just it was a really it was just well plotted, well paced. It was very funny. The the actors were all charismatic and great. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the story was interesting. The big showdown was like incredibly filmed. Uh, yeah. I I was a, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of Shang Chi. Um. This one, I was excited for it because of the the cast and the pedigree, right? You know, we have a uh, sure uh, the first. This is the, being the first uh, film Chloe Zhao has released since winning, making history, winning her Best Director Oscar for Nomadland earlier this year. Um, you know, we have just a, a an insanely star-studded cast, uh, you know, of of actors from across the spectrum, and uh, and. So I was, yeah, I was excited for it. I was like, yeah, let's let's see what does a Marvel movie directed by Chloe Zhao look like. And uh, oops, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and and I don't know that I, I don't like hate this movie. Um, you know, I, I I think that I connected with the kind of like the philosophical contemplative aspects of it. Okay, um, Doctor Leroy, go on. <laughs> I, I I thought those were interesting to me. Um, and what, what, was, what not, was that? What was that? Like the like whether or not to interfere. 
Yeah, basically, um, you know, just just these 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 questions of their their involvement or their interference um, and just sort of like sort of just like the the sort of metaphysical ramifications. And, and you know, it at, at the time, you know, and there's just a lot of, um, you know, kind of characters feeling their angst about like what to do or what not to do. Um, and I didn't think that it was overstated. And I thought that that was where Zhao's kind of lyrical directing qualities really serve the material. But what I was not interested in, in at all were uh, the characters. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. There is just no there there. I was like, give us something. Like these are not interesting. Like they're like, you know, any movie that is being tasked with like introducing a whole lineup of brand new characters is like has its work cut out for it. And, you know, like that was like the case with like what was it, like Justice League or whatever. Like, you know, like I, I feel my heart goes out to them because like they are, you know, being entrusted by like, you know, one of the hugest brands in the world to be like, OK, like you're going to be responsible for introducing all these characters that we need to like get people on board with because they're going to be part of the MCU going forward. And uh, and I just don't think that they did that. I felt like they expected us to be very invested in the romance between Gemma Chan and Richard Madden's characters. Um, I was not, I was not, <laughs> uh, I, I, it, you know, it was not, it did not invite my emotional investment. I think Gemma Chan to me was very flat in this movie. Uh, there was not a very dynamic emotional range to the performance. Um, not that there was a lot of <laughs> dynamic emotional range from many of the actors. Um, you know, it was really, I was, I was so thankful for Kumail Nanjiani for bringing some levity to it. Uh, you know, it, I was <laughs> appreciative, appreciative of that, uh, because it, the movie needed a bit of humor. Um, and it was clear that that, and that's not necessarily Chloe Zhao's wheelhouse. Uh, so, you know, I appreciated, uh, what he brought to the table, uh, but I, 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 yeah, I, I, I was, it, it was like, I was like, what am I watching? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't understand. It was, yeah, it, I don't know. It was just a misfire. Um, what, what, you, what, what were some of your thoughts watching it? Um, I'm trying to remember. So, you know, Soul's a big, um, Marvel head. And, and so I, you come out of an experience like this and watching this movie and, the, you know, you kind of have a, a day later have a couple of beers, get into the hot tub, and then just, like, let it rip. So let me see what I can remember from our session <laughs> where we kind of really, really talked about this one. And and I, it, one of the ways we're trying to frame our thinking also is, you know, it, is our criticism in, because of change aversion? You know, this is phase four. You know, we're saying goodbye to a lot of the characters we've grown to love over time. I didn't watch, for example, Iron Man 1 when it came out. I saw Iron Man after I had seen many Marvel movies. If I had seen Iron Man when it came out, I don't think I would have been able to, uh, in, I think I would have maybe turned off of Marvel even, you know, uh, been more standoffish than I, than I was because mm -hmm. I, you know, I, you have to wait to see the arc. But this is a, this is a franchise, you know, if Kevin Feige and, and his producers that he works with on these, um, they've seen, uh, you know, a good, uh, group of people, a group of characters get together before. They've seen um, 
an ensemble cast work. Uh, granted, those that for that last Marvel phase had, you know, you know, one Iron Man movie and a Thor movie and a, you know, Captain America, and then you kind of get them all together. Um, and this one sort of dumped you into everybody at once. But they're just for for a group of people that supposedly have known each other for hundreds or thousands of years it felt like it did not feel that way um yeah i don't understand what their powers are um i don't understand why they're called eternals but half of them die <laughs> i don't understand um they'll just i feel like what they pulled i don't i'm not i'm not like a fan that has read the comics but what Marvel, Disney Marvel does is, right, they pull pieces from this version of the comics and that version and they try to, like, you know, put it together to make it work for a movie. Um, but the, the premise of this is that you have these Eternals here on Earth and they exist to fight these capital D deviants uh, who hunt people. And, and, you know, the Celestials who've made the deviants... They made people, then they made the deviants, and then they were like, "Oh, the deviants are um, evolving, so let's let's create a new apex predator." Go back to Wonder Woman um, that doesn't evolve. Which I don't understand what, how you think that works—that you can have a new apex predator even though the prey is evolving. Still, <laughs> that's I feel like that's not how evolution would work—that the prey would continue to evolve. Um, now, who's a doctor? <laughs> Look, um, it's me. <laughs> but there's just so many parts of what they picked to put in this movie that that just don't make any sense. Um, how would the how come the Eternals don't know how many deviants there are? How can a deviant be frozen in ice for 500 years and then the same deviant gets awoken and then starts to evolve? That's not how mm. evolution works. Um, again. Uh, there's a lot of these like sort of like coincidental things that happen that are hard to to understand. So we have Richard Madden's character plays Icarus, sort of like at the same time that he needs a, a killer, he has found these unfrozen deviants to facilitate his plan. All in this like these last seven days that the Earth is supposed to exist, it it feels very. Um, it, it feels like the plot doesn't make sense in a way that like Marvel hasn't had a problem with before. Mm-hmm. Things were always mm-hmm. fantastical and crazy, but it was like, yeah, well, this is like a time when, when, you know, some like, pe- I think they, the characters each had their own mission before. Right. So even if you're looking at like guardians of the galaxy, which was like the introduction of an ensemble cast, what everyone was doing that led them to the point where they met is just very much a part of their character, right? You have these like scavengers and you have someone who's like the daughter of Thanos. And here it's like, it doesn't make sense why everyone's doing what they're doing. And mm. so anything that happens that it, it feels like you aren't invested in it because you're just being told yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. You're jogging a lot of my other thoughts about the movie. Um, yeah. I remember, you know, part of what I did think was interesting was this kind of idea this dichotomy of the Celestials um, and the Eternals being like in the service of the Celestials. And, um, you know, the whole thing kind of ended up feeling like a sort of an allegory for like a a war on God almost like because, you know, we have them kind of make this 
discovery as the story progresses of like the true nature of their mission or the way that they are used by the celestials. And it kind of is a, a breaking of the faith. You know, it's a breaking of their their trust in 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 what how they are used and how they are treated in this kind of larger celestial scheme. Um, so I found that very intriguing. But, you know, the overall kind of angst and dourness of it all, to me, just felt a lot more DC than MCU, frankly. Mm. Um, you know, like it, it, it was, you know, a, a story that is about angsty superheroes kind of moping around uh, and not really having a lot of fun and not really cracking a lot of jokes is more the DC universe. And, you know, so this movie, it just did not have that Marvel feel to it. It just didn't. It just wasn't there. Um, it was meandering. It was unfocused. It was uneven. And even like the, you know, the overall premise of it reminded me of another movie that I didn't even love that much. But now in retrospect, I'm like, oh, that was a fucking great movie, which was The Old Guard. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I know, I... Which, and you love that movie. I, that was that was part of the hot tub conversation was um, I loved this movie the first time when it was called The Old Guard, which was yes! really, again, showing because the character development was there. You understood why these people were doing what they were doing um, because you knew who they were. Right. Here you're like, I don't know who Angelina Jolie's character is, Tina. She's a fighter. But then also so is everybody else. And even the love story between um, Cersei and Icarus, um, Richard Madden and Jim mm-hmm. Chan is is like. So we're supposed to believe that they're this eternal love story because he watches her braid somebody's hair? Like what? <laughs> There's nothing. They don't. They exchange like five lines of dialogue before you're supposed to understand why they why they love each other. Um, but old guard, you understand who they stand, who they are, and who they stand for. Right. I mean, maybe the and they had a gay couple in that movie too. They sure did. And and they were very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> very horny very horny um, uh, the, hor- the horniness does not translate in this one <laughs> no no no, sure no, no no offense to brian tyree henry who's wonderful he's my other favorite part of the movie sure yeah and it seemed it it seems like um they understood that they needed to have a bit of that in there for it to be marvelly but it felt cheap still the characters mm-hmm. that were funny were felt yeah. cheap i didn't right. like uh, Gilgamesh, um, played by Ma, Ma Dong Suk, mm-hmm. being this like forever friend zoned, taking care of Angelina Jolie. Yeah. That was a weird thing. That was strange. Sama Hayek, like, I don't. Yeah, they do nothing with her. Uh, it was a weird use of time. I feel like maybe if they had done, you know, take a Nomad Land like approach, like just follow one of the characters. And make it about them. Yeah. The other half of them die anyway. Why we were invested in sort of all of this backstory doesn't make quite sense. I personally am on the uh, uh, Makari Druig shipping them. Love that couple. Looking mm. forward to them in the next um, the next movie. Yeah, I, I I saw someone even suggest that like a whole story about like Athena and Gilgamesh would have been more fascinating. 
uh, to be like, what is this relationship? What is the nature of it? How did they get to be this way? Like, cause you know, it, it's there, there's fascinating elements there, but it all just kind of gets sacrificed in the name of this kind of like big unnecessary ensemble piece and where it ultimately is effective for no one, no character lands, no character stands out. Um, no, no actor really gets to shine. Um, and, you know, I've never it's so it was so strange to see Angelina Jolie in scene after scene for scene where she didn't even have dialogue. Right. <laughs> it's like imagine being Angelina Jolie on the call sheet. You didn't even have any dialogue that day. Uh, you're Why just there in the background. Yeah. It's just so it's so strange. Um, and still, I mean, the face is the face is the face is the face. So, um, you know, the scene where the DB has like it has her picked up and her like eyes are white and it goes like reach for her face and she turns away. I'm like, oh, okay, that face, it's there. I'm still here for the face. I think that I can um, hear you reenacting it. Is <laughs> I did reenact precious. it. Um, I did, yeah. And, uh, or, you know, when she, when the deviant or whatever goes into the cave and she's sort of like leaning against the wall like Jordan Catalano, um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> giving, giving, giving you that profile. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it just, it, it ultimately, it makes, it pleases no one. Um, you know, no character stand out. It pleases no one. I, I totally hear the criticism of like the, like the, the Kumail stuff with the comedy felt a little cheap or a little like shoehorned in. Um, I felt like that was just them being like, yeah, we, we, we have no, this is not our strong suit. Kumail, you're funny. So go ahead and I guess, you know, riff, you know? Um, so it really like fell to his enormous shoulders to, uh, <laughs> to, uh, to, to deliver on, on giving you any sort of Marvel, Marvel humor at all, because the script and the direction, we're not going to give it to you. Also just like the, you're introducing a whole new set of characters, um, and like gods and, and, and enemies, but I feel like the the again capital D deviants that there is, is supposed to be their main enemy for for most of the story. Um, the proportion of power, like how strong they were, versus these like Eternals that are are you know I don't know I, I get the impression that they're like Thor and above you know power wise, but these the the capital D deviants are these like dogs that I do don't understand how they were so strong like it i feel like they didn't set up the story to understand why that was such a matched foe um it seemed like someone that hulk could have killed easily mm-hmm. um and so <laughs> along the way who who the people are why they're there what they're doing why why we're worried about these like last seven days none of it like it's hard it's hard to buy into any of it I'm not picturing you like in the theater, like leaning forward with your like chin and your fist, being like, Hulk could kill this guy. What's the big deal? <laughs> and that's uh, why I can't go to the movie theater anymore. Exactly. <laughs> Apologies to the staff and patrons at Regal's Regal Five Ranch Mirage. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I know everyone's just kind of like asking the question now, like where does Marvel go from here? Because this was a this was a, this didn't go great for them, and it's and the Rotten Tomato meter right now, several weeks after release, is like in the mid 40s, um, which is brutal. And you know, and there are definitely those who are saying like, oh, well, this is, you know, it's being held to a double standard or this is racism or sexism, um, or, you know, people trying to take down the film because it's diverse and inclusive and directed by Chloe Zhao and 
Um, you know, and like, if anything, like you, anyone who's listened to the show knows that would normally get us in his pocket, even if we were not crazy about it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, like all those things being what they are, it did not, it does not help the movie be any better. <sighs> yeah. All I can think about is Black Widow. I mean, it, it did introduce seven characters, but it introduced three new characters. Um, and that ensemble felt so familiar. You know, a group of people who were, who were supposed to have played a family 30 years ago feels like they're really nailing the essence of, you know, they understood the assignment. And in this movie, it, it's, just, it's just absolutely not there. But maybe it's an Iron Man one. Maybe this is in the service of a better story and we'll get there someday. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even thinking back to the Marvel movies from throughout the year, like, you know, like they've, it's, you know, that was directed by Kate Shortland. Shang-Chi was directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, an Asian American director. Now we have this directed by Chloe Zhao. So, you know, Marvel is at least kind of, you know, putting their money where their mouth is in terms of inclusion behind the camera as well, um, which is great. Um but, you know, they're also, I think there's just that fear that, like, are they in their flop period now? <laughs> like, is Marvel entering its mm-hmm. flop period? Um, okay. And I just saw that they're doing, they just called back the Doctor Strange shoot for what I saw labeled as extensive reshoots. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. So I think I think there's there's panic at the top of the mountain right now for Marvel. Um, so, so, yeah, I don't know if they're, I don't think this is going to bode well for any kind of extensive experimentalism that was perhaps being embraced going forward like oh like after eternals like we can kind of really get more artsy and and loose and freeform with it and then now after this they're like oh just kidding (laughs) we're going to go clamp way down on formula because we need to write this ship i mean it's one or the other i feel like they try to have both with this they try to have a, a a fun you know they try to have that moment where everyone tries to pick up molnir at the party but they hired the Nomadland director because they wanted this, like, ethereal, you know, beautiful, big space gods movie. And and the movie's worse for trying to do both. Yeah. I, I didn't like Nomadland, so I think it's all Chloe's house fault. And I say that <laughs> as a director, <laughs> not as a person. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Um, I did still love that movie, and I was a fan of The Rider, but I did not enjoy this one. So what are you uh, What are you going to give this one? I mean, consume? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like consume. I don't feel like it's a, quite a full send it back, um, but it's just... Yeah, I, I would love to know, like, did she have... Like, how much freedom did she have you know like how much of this is her like did she actually negotiate after she won the oscar did she, was she able to like renegotiate terms like did she have final cut was the whole thing already in the can you know was it like locked and loaded by the time that she even won the oscar you know like you know was how much of this movie is what marvel wanted and how much of it is what uh chloe wanted um you know uh is there a director's cut somewhere that would make more sense uh you know it's you know like it's it's but yeah definitely if this is a movie trying to be two things at once and failing at both so consume you said consume um it's in theater still and it's rated pg-13 our second movie is dune you know i saw i'm sure you saw the tweet but the font of the movie title just makes it look like Dunk. <laughs> I did not see that tweet, but I, I so that's see. all I see now is Dunk. 
<laughs> and that just gets you excited. You like a dunk. <laughs> ah, dunk. Um, <laughs> Paul Atreides, a young man born into a great dynasty beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe to ensure the future of his family and his people. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. I just finished this. This one's really fresh in your memory. It really uh, is. I finished it moments before starting here um, today. And as someone who has been harvesting desert power for the last 11 months, let me say, um, I can't hear House of without now thinking of like um, balls and drag. <laughs> you can't hear what without thinking of that? Like when someone says house, oh, house of, like of, the house of, of Atreides. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. From the house, house of, of Atreides. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, so bring it to the runway. Welcome to the main stage from the house of Atreides. Paul. Thank you. Exactly. Yes, okay. I guess I was hoping yeah. you would do that for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, this is very similar uh, to Eternals in some ways. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a long uh sci-fi movie uh that's very kind of you know uh existential philosophical uh very artful uh perhaps not particularly plot driven or fast-paced um how did this compare to eternals for you this understood this this is the movie that you were expecting it to be this was mm -hmm. uh the artful view of the sci-fi movie and it delivered and it was beautiful. I saw it again, exactly how the director intended uh, rushed before this podcast um, <laughs> halfway between my laptop screen, screen and my skin <laughs> on my iPhone watch. Um, <laughs> I actually just finished it while we were still talking about Eternals. So <laughs> yeah, I watched the final 10 minutes on my Zoom. So I was watching Dune on my Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> zunk. Um, Don't my zunk. <laughs> that, that sounds like an easy song. Um, <laughs> yeah, they got arrested for that one in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I'm not a big sci-fi person. I'm, uh, you know, not really a fan of fantasy, Game of Thrones. Um, I do like Star Trek The Next Generation, of course, but but this this was an absolute delight if I wasn't racing against the clock to finish it. <laughs> How about you? Did you find it tickled your philosophical fancy? Like if I wasn't watching it uh, at 1.5 speed uh, to get it done. <laughs> if I wasn't watching it in the second screen of my Skype right now, <laughs> I think it's going well. <laughs> You're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, it's a pretty good movie. Oh, is that Charlotte Rampling? Jason <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Momoa mean, with shaved face? I will say, I feel like Momoa, this is this movie represents quite a, a handsome off. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of competition for handsomeness across the male cast of this film. Again, and, and uh, Charlotte Rampling, very handsome woman. Very handsome woman, very handsome woman. And... 
I felt like the only way to really see who was going to prevail in this handsome off was like, it, it's not even anything you can control. It's like when there's two handsome actors on screen together, one will just naturally prevail <laughs> as like, okay, which one does your eyes go to? Um, and at first I was like, I think Oscar Isaac is winning this over Chalamet. Um, and certainly there was no competition. Like there was no competition from Roland. There was no competition from Batista. Um, there's no competition <laughs> from, uh, from Bardem. Um, but then when Momoa showed up, mm. I was like, Momoa wins. Momoa wins. Uh, because he does not have that ridiculous long beard in this. Um, <laughs> so like the, the prettiness of his face can shine through a lot more. And I was like, Oscar Isaac next to him just looks old. Timothy Chalamet just looks weird. <laughs> he uh, weird. I mean, their <laughs> dynamic didn't help it either. No. He was basically like a little baby being picked yeah. up and carried by Momoa. It was, it was <laughs> nice. Um, I feel like now I think Momoa just keeps the beard to keep like people at bay. Like he doesn't know <laughs> you. Such as myself, right? To keep me away, yeah. yeah. Because I know, just like the, because like the raw beauty of his face without this ridiculous Billy Goat beard, uh, is too much. It's too much for us to take. He's trying to spare us. It's like why Sinead O'Connor shaves her head. You know, she was too. You know, she was like, I can't take this objectification that comes with my natural beauty. I have to subvert it somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's what and that's what Moa does. Uh, so, but uh, the movie beyond the handsomeness. Um, was, uh, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't say that I had as, as big of a reaction to it as you did. Um, it was, I know it looks fantastic for sure. Um, I can't say that I really understood what was going on. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with the source material. I never saw David Lynch's movie. I never read the book. Um, so I was like more or less keeping up. And it was also one of those things where you're like, it's one of those texts that has been so influential in the genre that it can't help but remind you of a million things you've seen since, mm-hmm. even though like those things are all ripping this off. But then when you, this finally gets made into a proper film, it just feels like very referential of like everything else you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with like, you know, Chalamet is this like Christ figure slash Luke Skywalker, you know, type of, you know, stepping into his, not, not knowing how powerful he is that he's the one. And, uh, you know, these different, Matrix. you know, yeah, Matrixy, um, you know, these different warring um, tribes and planet populations. And then the, the, inevitably the one that's sort of uh, being exploited, um, you know, eventually having a, a rise, uh, an uprising. And, you know, so it's and the whole thing also, um, it seems like I keep hearing this, that like it feels just like an extended uh, prequel to the next one, which will be when stuff actually happens, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. um, and by stuff, I mean Zendaya being on screen for more than seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, like so much of this movie is, it just feels like exposition to help set up the next one. Uh, and it's like to the point where when the first movie ends, you're like, wait, they did this without knowing if they were going to get a second one? <laughs> because like this, this is such a, this would be such an unfulfilling experience if, if there was not a second one made because the story, the way it ends, just kind of like, okay, now, now what? You know what I mean? Um, as I, you know, nod along as though I've seen the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's bold. Um, I mean, no, the Eternals also... Did they not show Zendaya again? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> 
is there a post credit scene? Um, it was actually one of Soul's point about the Eternals was it, it's a really, um, you know, big swing to come to end the movie with such a certainty that there will be a second one. Of course, it's Marvel and right. you know, they have these plans so far in advance, but um, I didn't realize that they didn't know there was going to be a second one here. Yeah, it was not. Uh, it was only um, it was after it was released that uh, that Warner officially announced that they were greenlighting uh, the next one. So yeah, it was not like a, it would have made more sense as like a the way they did the way Peter Jackson did Lord of the Rings, you know, where he just like went off and just made them all back to back. So, but instead, yeah, they 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 were only willing to to green light this first one because I mean it is historically a very troubled property, so it makes sense that they might not be like, oh sure, here's a, a billion dollars to go make, you know, this like very big budget series of movies um based on a book that's famously unfilmable um you know the or you know that might not resonate with anyone i i think it works though i think um and maybe this is uh i'm easily won over because i am you know such a a critic of the genre but i think it it has like a, a beautiful patience and breathing room that allows you to appreciate uh, the actors and 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 the the scenery. Uh, I also feel like they. I don't. I don't feel like confidently understood everything about it. But it. I think it's so beautiful. I want to see it again. And it's two and a half hours long. So take take make of that what you will. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean that's that's high praise. High praise to want to sit through two and a half hours again. I watched this at home. I just watched it on my TV. I, I, I wanted to make it out to a theater to see it, but it just wasn't working out timing wise. And so I do feel like I perhaps gave myself a, a service and I watched it with Scott. So if I watched it by myself, I would have just been on my phone plainly the whole time. Um, really? you know, when I watched it, Oh yeah. Um, since I was watching it with Scott, I felt a bit more compelled to like, okay, I should like try to pay more attention. Um, but, uh, yeah, when we both watched it the whole time and then after we were both kind of like, mm, um yeah just weren't weren't wasn't too crazy about it but um but yeah i would like to see it on the big screen there were definitely there were so many shots where i was like oh man that would look so wild on a big screen um he's doing that like uh he's taking those online classes um (laughs) about the planet and and the lights like on his face it looks it looks gorgeous i also um soul did not watch this with me and i'm i'm hoping to to take her to go see it if it's still available in in imax that would something like that would be great yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, where do you uh, where are you gonna give this one? I feel like I'm giving it a binge it. Huh, all right. Yeah, that sounds like you're giving it a binge it. It sounds uh, like I am. <laughs> I'm, huh, you know, yeah, it's fresh, fresh, a positive experience, fresh in your mind. I mean, it also uh, was a you know, uh, it's been a day. Uh, I started it watching Titan at 8 a.m. Uh, <laughs> then the harder they fall, and then. Oh. Dunk. So maybe there's a little bit of recency bias. <laughs> I mean, I can see how after those two high key chaotic movies, uh, that you enjoyed the more leisurely pace uh, and, uh, and 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 poetic visuals uh, of Dune. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think for for me it's a for me it's a consume. Uh, you know, it's it's it's. Gorgeously, you know, directed by Denis Villeneuve, wonderful photography, wonderful art direction. Um, but yeah, the actual story I just didn't find particularly um, compelling. So it is still in theaters and it's on HBO Max and it's rated PG 13. Our next movie is Passing. In 1920s New York City, 
a black woman finds her world upended when her life becomes intertwined with a former childhood friend who's passing as white. This movie has an interesting pacing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, because there's it doesn't there's not really a lot that happens per se. Um, it's a very it's very 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 interior, right? Um, <laughs> we we. <laughs> Yeah. So what, what, I watched this movie with Soul, and just kind of because you said interior, um, we played the game, which is, uh, you know, act out every time the character is silently screaming inside. <laughs> <laughs> I had well, like a sore every throat. Every single scream. <laughs> <laughs> That's like Tessa Thompson's entire arc in the movie. It's just internal screaming. Everybody. So. It's also everybody's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, the husband is is very or Andre Holland's character is is screaming and yeah, there's there's there is a lot of internal screaming going on. Um, but yeah, it is a movie where you know like the beginning of it is um the beginning and the end are a bit more sort of active and then there's just a long middle stretch, um where yeah it's just a lot of interiority and a lot of Tessa Thompson's character trying to sort of navigate her very complicated feelings about. Uh, this woman having reappeared in her life um, and having lots of blind spots while she does try to navigate that. Um, I, I found this movie to be uh, very affecting. I found Ooh, it. Yes. To, yeah. That was very affecting. I thought it was um, gorgeously made, gorgeously acted. Um, and I feel like there's a, the scene right toward the beginning, whenever, uh, so Ruth Nega plays Rini, or wait, no, no, uh, Tessa is Rini. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so yeah, so Ruth Nega is Clara, and Tessa Thompson is Rini. So when Clara first takes Rini back to her home, introduces to her husband, played by Alexander Skarsgård, that scene is one of like <laughs> the most incredible, well-calibrated scenes I have witnessed all year in any movie. Yeah. Uh, Hands down, 100% agree. On just just a showcase all around. Uh, remarkable. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that the movie maintains that same degree uh, uh, throughout, but it would have been very difficult to, uh, you know, like, because, uh, you know, after that, they kind of, we obviously have Skarsgård's character who plays, um, uh, you know, Clara's white husband who believes that he is married to a white woman. Um, you know, he he is he is sort of the the Chekhov's gun of the movie. Uh, you know, like <laughs> we see him in the beginning and we know he's going to go off later. Um, and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then the rest of the movie is just kind of this. Yeah, this kind of this much more sort of just like nuanced interior depiction of, of these of these two women. And this very kind of all the all the things that are going on set between them about these very incendiary subjects. Um, but uh, it, it is. Uh, Ruth Ruth Nega as Clara is on another level in this. Uh, like she is giving you old timey actress in a way that is <laughs> transcendent. <laughs> uh, like the voice, the mannerisms, all of it. And then even you know, and you might you know, one could be like, oh, is she being too? Is it distracting? Is it too kind of like big on these like showy ticks? Um, and not enough emotional truth. But no, I think that performativity is key to the character because this is a character who is playing a role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Clara has been playing the role of a white woman her entire adult life. 
And, uh, you know, so and we do see, you know, she does give her a lot of beats where we see her more wounded, brutal qualities. We see the toll that it's taken on her. Um, and I mean, we see that even in the strong attraction that Clara feels toward Rini's life um, in Harlem, surrounded by this like thriving Prohibition era black scene. Um, but then even within Rini's world, Rini is, is living in a world of relative privilege. Um, you know, her husband's a doctor and she has a, a maid who is dark skinned and Rini is not nice to the maid. Uh, and, you know, so there's just so many different factors here. There, there's a lot of their suggestions of a sort of a, a, a perhaps a, a more passionate romance uh, between the two women. Mm. Uh, there's, yeah, there's, it's just, it's, it's rich. Like it's a really slender story ultimately. And one that of which I think it has an ending that undoes a lot of its power um, because it's a little <laughs> retrograde, I think. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, there's, it's, yeah, you, what, what were your thoughts when you were watching it, aside from the silent screams? <laughs> um, it, uh, to your point about the sort of, uh, performance of like the, this, the way of speaking and, and the mannerisms of the time, I think in, in, when we were watching it, it almost seemed like that was more of a question mark around Tessa Thompson. Mm. Uh, especially like in in the way that she spoke seemed a little bit more like acting with a capital a than it did from ruth nega yeah i could see that tessa thompson's performance is a bit more i think she she does not commit the same way that ruth nega does to the old-timey thing um so tessa thompson's performance is like kind of a mix between like a more modern naturalistic feeling performance and then still having these like Oh, gee willikers, um, you know, moments. And that like um, mid-Atlantic, early 20th yeah. century, kind of like clipped, uh, but like highly educated way of speaking. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, 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 um, the movie is really slight, as you mentioned. There yeah. are, it, it's almost like a play. And, you know, most scenes end up taking place in Clara's house. Um, but everything, I think you you expect it to be you know, one thing from how you described the opening scene. And, and I think in the middle, you sort of get this, um, what are all the ways that your assumptions about people and their lives and their happiness and their marriage and um, their success is what what it is, what it seems, how much of it is what it seems. And I think it, it's really clever in that way. I don't think it hits you over the head with it, um, but it's also not so subtle that it's that it's boring. I found the end surprising. Yes. Um, but I, I don't know that it was worse off for it. Um, I think if it had been a little bit more mm, intentional, uh, sort of, you know, how things go down, um, mm. <laughs> then maybe it would have been, then maybe that would have seemed cheap, but it, but it feels like at the end of the day, you know, any, everything that you're sort of, um, all, all the facades can be undone by an accident. You know, you're in the sort of wrong place or you're long time or someone finds out who you are which you know we can find that also in titane the through <laughs> line there um mm, yes and yeah so i don't know i felt it, it was it was a big a big ending um 
but it also feel like it sort of seemed like it fit that play type uh vibe yeah yeah i could see that um i think for me the reason that it felt retrograde was you know and and we'll just you know i'll just say like you know for people who haven't seen it uh you know we'll just say it's 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 a, it's a tragic ending and uh it is tragic in a way that to me felt kind of retrograde moralistic um you know there's a long history of stories where you have this marginalized character who dies in the end and it feels like the character is being punished somehow um for for reaching too high um or for you know flying too close to the sun or you know there's obviously there's a long story of like bury your gaze right uh you know of, of the queer characters being killed in things um so it just felt like this character ultimately is punished uh with death and uh you know and, and, and not only is it just wildly jarring given how quiet and slight the story has been up to that point to go from zero to a hundred in that degree where you go from you know an hour of just like women staring um to <laughs> which is your favorite genre of movie which, which is my favorite genre of movie um to a very sudden and harrowing moment of life or death um you know and and even though there's an element of that moment that there's an ambiguity of a gesture that leads to it that is really interesting um i, I never yeah. rewound it but i was like is, I did. Is that what happened? And so I was like, I yeah, and I was it. like, what? Okay, I should, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah, uh, I rewound it. It's, 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 it's gray. It's gray. Um, <laughs> and there you go. That's why it's there. You've made the point for it. <laughs> um, but yeah, because then you can read, you can read the, the gesture two ways, you know, uh, one of trying to protect one of not. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a really, and this is a, this is the adaptation. This is the feature directorial debut of Rebecca Hall, an actress we've long loved on this show, mm-hmm. um, in movies like Christine. Um, and she adapted this, uh, this, uh, 20s, uh, novella, uh, of the same name by an author named Zella Larson. Um, and she became interested in this after, um, when she was going through her own family history, she found out that I believe one of her grandmothers uh, was uh, was mixed race and was living a life passing as white in that timeline. And um, and once Rebecca Hall learned that about her own family history, she was just, you know, was really just fascinated and wanting to dig more into that subject. And which is what led to her making this project. So it was very personal to her. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think that in in this element with this with the ending is from the book. Uh, so you know, can't can't fault uh, the movie for keeping that ending as it is. Uh, all in all, I mean, I I was really 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 impressed with this movie. The one the one thing that drove me nuts was uh so the score shockingly is by Devonte Hines, <laughs> aka Blood Orange, who's one of the great musicians of our time. Mm, but the whole score, one? it's the fucking iPhone ringtone. Oh, it is. It is. It sounds exactly like the iPhone Jazzy piano ringtone. Oh, I have Like if you like, if you just like look up on your phone and just like be like, go to like the Jazzy the piano ringtone. It is almost identical to the exact piano trill that plays every time a new scene starts in this movie. 
it is it, it was making me crazy because it, it sounds I'm telling you so much like this ringtone. Um, so I was like, Dev Hines, I, you, I know, you know what that ringtone sounds like. What are you up to? <laughs> um, so that was, that was one thing that, uh, that was, uh, uh distracting. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone's fantastic. You know, even, even with the wobbles, with the affectation of the, of the voice that Thompson was just like, she really was nailing those silent screams. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Andre Holland really brought a lot of sort of emotional volatility to his performance as Tessa Thompson's husband. Uh, as Skarsgård is always willing to, <laughs> I mean, I, I admire his boldness of, you know, and between characters like this, his character in Big Little Lies, his character in, in Diary of a Teenage Girl, like he will be your hateable white man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, he will play just unspeakably evil men um, and uh, and will bring his his name to these projects that are so that are so uh, good and worthy of being seen. So shout out to him. But I mean, to me, Ruth Nega is is the is the story here um, in terms of I hope that she I hope they run her in supporting so she'll have more of a chance um, for award season, because I think it's just it's a hauntingly beautiful performance. And and she if I'm Tessa Thompson looking across and she's my scene partner and she's nailing the the affectations like that, I'm just thinking, you bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, to see her come from um, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> to here. Uh, really, I thought she was on that. Oh, Rebecca was a, a big character in Agents of Shield. I think maybe like the first three seasons. Wow! So I knew yeah. her from Loving, sure. um, and <laughs> from like, yeah, 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 um, and uh, and Preacher. Uh, oh. uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but you know, on bo- both of which she was doing, you know, a, a very ripe uh, Southern accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then on this one, I mean, she is just, I mean, she is just nailing it, nailing it. So yeah. very, very, very impressed with her and hope that she gets a big push this award season. But, uh, I, are you also I, giving us a binge it? I'm giving us a binge it. Wonderful. Double binge, super binge. Ooh. Um, passing is streaming on Netflix and it's rated PG 13. Our next film is also streaming on Netflix and it is the harder they fall. When an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison, he reunites his gang to seek revenge. Um, this is coming. We're recording this right before Jonathan Majors is going to be on Saturday Night Live tonight. That's right. With Taylor Swift. With Taylor. Taylor. Uh, Taylor I'm Swift. Very, very excited to see him on Saturday Night Live. Um, uh, I love I love. How much we just saw him earlier this year in uh, Loki, and right. when was um, Lovecraft? Yeah, that yeah. was. I think that was this year, or it was late last year. What is a year? And he was in Five Bloods, uh, and of right. course we saw him in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a rising star, and I and he is just he's wonderful. He he is. I, I can't wait to see him do sketch comedy. <laughs> you know, I know. Uh, his uh, his roles have been pretty serious so far, uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, cut loose. But uh, but yeah, this I mean, what a what a cast this movie has. Uh, we have yeah, good. We have Idris Elba. We have Regina King. Sassy um, Beats. Sassy Beats. Uh, it is uh, Keith ooh, Stanfield. That's right, Lakeith Stanfield. It is a cast. 
confused. Delroy Lindo, uh, who was also Del in the Five Bloods. Yeah, it's a real it's a real who's who. Um, it's directed by James Samuel, uh, Samuels, and I had a ball watching this movie. Uh, yeah, me too. I had a really good time. Uh, it really, it does have that. I was like, oh, is this what Django and Chain would have felt like if it was good? Um, <laughs> I mean, it does have a Tarantino-esque, like, uh, uh-huh. comic bookiness to it, right? Like, yeah, very stylized. Yeah, 100%. Especially right from the opening, um, the way that the titles come up as uh, we watch uh, Jonathan Major shoot this uh, white dude to death uh, as his body like flies through the air and it keeps stopping to like put like the boom harder boom they boom fall. Um, I was like, okay, I'm feeling this. Um, you know, like once you get past your kind of obligatory, you know, Western movie scene of like horrific savagery of a family being massacred in front of a young child. Um, once you get past that, then it's all smooth sailing from there on out. Is it still hyper violent? Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, but, uh, but you know, it's not as not as not as upsetting as that. Those themes are always hard to get through, but you need them so you can establish your villain. Uh, in this case, the villain is Idris Elba. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about this is that um, all of these characters. So the story is entirely fictitious, but all of the characters are based on actual historical figures. Um, yes. You know. Uh, black Americans from the Old West days, whose stories, of course, have been largely left out of all of our understanding of history. Um, so uh, really fascinating to to create this kind of revisionist historical uh, Western uh, that you know introduces audiences who may not have heard of these characters um, to them. It's really, really fascinating just all the way around. This movie does... Um... Uh, a great job of managing the large cast. Um, you have them sort of set up in these rival gangs and you have a couple of uh, characters and sort of like in the middle. Um, uh, for example, uh, Delroy Lindo plays the sheriff, Mar- sheriff, marshal. Mm, yeah. Law. He plays the long arm of the law. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that kind of, you know, unites the, the causes the central like actual showdown to happen between the two rival gangs. And you have one character kind of chasing this lifelong um, retribution revenge story. And then you have, you know, another set of bank robbers. And I, I feel like the, even though these are all kind of very trope, you know, familiar motivations, I feel like it just, it all wove together very nicely. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, it is. It is. Yeah, it's it's all hyper familiar. Um, but it's a movie that in that Tarantino way, it knows the references. It loves the references mm. and it, it revitalizes the references with just sheer gusto and energy and excitement. Uh, and, you know, like, yeah, at no point are you like, oh, I've never seen that story before. But it's really it's the way that it's kind of it's just tweaking them slightly, um, you know, bringing bringing this quality of blackness to it. Um, and with just like the, in the, 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 the visuals, the, the editing, the photography, um, you know, and the, it's, it's, it's the, the story is not necessarily, I mean, it's, it's a mess. Um, but I didn't care, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a total mess, but I didn't care. Um, you know, because... a mess? I don't know. I felt like everything, this almost again, feels like the opposite of the Eternals where like everything here, right. I know exactly why everyone's doing anything. This person's motivation is to do this. So they will do that. And then they try to make a, um, uh, 
they make a decision about how to try to enter the rival gang's town, and that decision was the wrong one. So their person <laughs> got caught, and then they have now it's pivoted to them trying to rescue sassy beats. So uh, <laughs> I thought it actually like all fell in line pretty well. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think the story makes sense. Um, I, I I think it's a little sprawling, a little messy, just in execution. But I think that's you know that's kind of par for the course. But just like they're just they're just like yeah, guess what? It's gonna feel a little messy, and it's gonna feel just fun as fuck the whole time. And you're like, okay, I'm on I'm on board. I'm along for this ride. Um, oh my god, the fight scene between Regina King and Zazie Beats <laughs> was unbelievable. Uh, yeah, just the whole thing. Like, I don't really care about Westerns generally. Um, not usually a fan, but, uh, but yeah, just, just James Samuel's passionate commitment to his very singular vision for how to tell this story combined with just like all the actors look like they're having a ball playing these kind of, you know, putting their, their, their spin on all these different sort of Western movie archetypes. Um, yeah, this, this was just a treat. Like, I, I did not see this one coming. I, I did not know what the tone was going to be. And I think it managed to, it was consistent. Like the, the tone was consistently kind of uh, gonzo from beginning to end. <laughs> um, you know, so it really didn't waver. It also feels like, um, as the, as a viewer of this movie, I felt like I was treated by the investment and richness in the costumes, in the sets and scenery. It really came through lush wallpapers, the beautiful mm. colors of the of the buildings, the beautiful clothes that they wore and the colors and the like the thickness of the fabric. I feel like it was so beautifully shot and, and, and all of that was captured. And it felt like it felt like a gift. It felt like I was going out to eat at a fancy restaurant. Like, oh, I'm treating, you know, I'm being treated <laughs> to like these be- this delight for the eyes. And for those colors to come through on your Zoom screens, really no small effort. <laughs> uh, really. Um, that- toggling between Zoom screen and Apple Watch. Uh, <laughs> really, you're like, wow, yeah, it's popping. It's just yeah, popping. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what are you going to give this one? Uh, I don't, I can I, I gotta say binge it. Yeah, I'm giving it a binge it too. I really, yeah. I have no, I have no reason not to. There's really nothing I had an issue with about it. Like it was, it was just, it's, it's a ball. It's and like. I'll tell you, I yeah. was thrown for a loop at the twist. You? Um, yes, I was. I was not, I was not, we, I did not see that coming. I did not see that coming, even though I guess it should have been. Well, I guess it shouldn't have been obvious. Maybe it depends on how how invested someone is into like the different tropes of of, of westerns. But yeah, no, I I did not I did not see that coming. That was I couldn't remember at first. I'm like, oh right, that one uh, toward the very end. Um, yeah, no, no, that was that was that was well done. They they did a great job of not um, tipping their their cap to that uh, until the time came to reveal it. Um, wow, we have another binge it. How exciting! <laughs> Uh, the Harder They Fall is, again, streaming on Netflix, and it is rated R. Speaking of rated R... <laughs> Titan. <laughs> Following a series of unexplained crimes, a father is reunited with his son, who has been missing for 10 years. Oh, that's a way to describe this movie. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, um, an auto show goes... 
off the track. model, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, huh. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's all true. Right. It's like a model gets a headache. Uh. <laughs> the story of a 1975 Chevy Camaro. <laughs> it's a Camaro. <laughs> 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 you you want to start with this one? This is from your favorite director. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Titan, which is French okay. for titanium, uh, is. Uh, oh, thank you for not correcting me until now. <laughs> Titan. Um. So yes, Titan is uh is the uh, sophomore feature film debut or uh, a film written and directed by Julia Ducourneau, who previously made a little movie called Raw, uh, which I think we were both big fans of, right? Or was I just a big fan of it? I I think just you were. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like, and now I'm further uh, for, affirmed in my feelings on uh, on her work. <laughs> um, so Titan was, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. It won the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, putting it in a rarefied uh, company. And I believe making Julia Ducourneau only uh, the second woman ever to have directed a Palme d'Or winning film. Wow. Um, yes. So I, I think the previous one was Jane Campion for the piano. I mean, uh, the Palme d'Or has a type. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't think Titan tracks with previous Palme d'Or winners. I mean, didn't there's, Blue is the Warmest no Color? Well, I think that won the Palme d'Or, but I mean, I don't see these as being, I mean, Dance I guess. The dark. I don't think Dance in the Dark won the Palme d'Or. Did no. it? Well, I mean, yeah, they definitely, I mean, they embrace, you know, a lot of European films uh, that have a different sensibility. <laughs> um, but Titan really is in a class of its own. I mean, sure. this is this is a straight up body horror movie, and they have never given the palm door to a body horror movie before. Um, it is difficult to truly describe um, the story of this movie. So I'm more interested in, because I knew all about it going into it. I, I was reading everything I could find about it ever since it premiered, because I was like, I'm sorry, it's about what? Um, <laughs> and so I want to know more about, like, what did you know going into it? And if you walk me through your experience watching this at 8 a.m. this morning. Yeah, I, I knew absolutely nothing about this movie. Oh, my um, God. Mm -hmm. And um, I started watching it at 8 a.m. Uh, with my cup of coffee and um, oh. I got an early panettone that I've been enjoying for <laughs> breakfast. Um, I, you know, to say I was unprepared is um, putting it mildly. There's no way to know how, how this movie's going to go. Um, and, and then it's, and then it starts. Look, uh, <laughs> and continues <laughs> and then it ends. I, yeah, that's your I review. Think, uh. I think, um, uh, I mean, I this will never happen, but I don't know how the how this actress, Agatha Roussel, yeah, um, like never acted before. I don't understand how like this isn't a guaranteed Academy Award. Yeah, and this is her debut. You know, she was not an actor. Uh, this is this is they just Julia Ducourneau just plucked her out of out of oblivion and put her in this role. And uh, she has been asked to do, and what she has delivered um, are things that <laughs> you know don't exist in the real world. So there's that. 
um, and 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 the way she pulls in from just like the most human physical experience in a way that is both over the top and remarkably understated. I I've I've never seen anything like it. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. It is something that I feel like only it's truly something that only a French actress can do. Uh, but, <laughs> um, that might be a serial killer. She might be. She might be. So walk me through the different stage, the different levels of what the fuck uh, as okay. as you're getting through the different beats of this movie. So uh, when the the main character, um, Alexia, ha- has sex with the car, sure. I said, OK. okay. <laughs> you said, OK, sure. Yeah, I said, OK, sure. Um, when she um, kills somebody, I said. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. When she killed a house full of people, mm-hmm. I think is when I was like, oh, this is, okay, I, this is something else. <laughs> um, and then and then proceeded to kind of uh, go into this uh, second life as she's escaping from the law um, as, as, as being the person that replaces, uh, she like stands in as as like a missing a, a boy that's been missing for for ten years while she is pregnant with the car's baby. Um, I think the leaking motor oil out of her orifices was also another point where I was like, "Huh, I should have waited until later in the day to see this." Mm-hmm. Also, I wish somebody was watching this with me, but also I, I don't, I could never ask anybody <laughs> to watch this with me. You're like you're like I wish Soul was here, but also Soul, you should never watch this. Yeah, I was <laughs> like I also threw the TV out the window. It reminded me of how like maybe like four years ago I broke my finger, um, and I had to have surgery and I had a pin in my finger. And when the time came for them to take the the pin out, um, I like they took the bandages off and I saw my like mauled, bloody, scarred, you know, gigantic finger and like the the emotional response I had to just my finger being, you know, broken was so it's like, it still feels very traumatic. And this movie felt like that for two hours. (laughs) But then I, I found out exactly what you would be like as a fireman. So that was helpful. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Just kind of like in the background, like, Oh, I don't, uh, Oh, I don't belong here. No, no, no. Uh, I mean, dancing on top of the fire truck. Oh, that. Yep. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. No, that that is true. Um, I'd be like, come on, boys. You know, <laughs> put on some Shania Twain and uh, yeah. Um, Could you please explain <laughs> the movie to our listeners? Well, I mean, I feel like there's really nothing to explain beyond what you just said. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. <Fair> enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about a a, a, a woman who um, we see in a uh, in a prologue uh, when she was a child, she was in a car accident. Um, and it led to her having um, a bit of uh, titan uh, put in her skull. Um, and uh, and then flash forward a bunch of years, and she is working as sort of an erotic dancer at car shows. And uh, and then as we meet her as an adult, we, she seems like she is starting to go on a bit of a killing spree. Um, we are not clear on whether this is the beginning of killing for her or if she has a history of it, because there's also I remember there's like a, a news broadcast they show her watching with her father, um, her actual father, not her later adoptive father, um, where they're talking about uh, a lot of, you know, like been there was like a serial killer on the loose. 
Um, so it's possible that she's just still in the midst of her killing spree. Uh, right. But yeah, we 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 see her kill first. Um, a, a sort of an overzealous male fan who follows her to her car after the car show. And at first it feels like some, it's, it's understandable ish because he is, he is frightening her. Um, and he is being a very, you know, like she, given what her job was and given what her, what, why he was following her to the car, uh, you know, we're like, okay. Like she was, was perhaps fearful for her life. Mm-hmm. But then, um, we see her, uh, yeah, kill her girlfriend and then all the people in the house with her girlfriend in a scene that is meant to be comedic. Uh, did you, did you laugh at that scene? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched this movie in a, in a packed theater, um, because it was opening weekend and Julia Ducourneau was there to do a Q and A afterward. Oh, and wow. uh yes and uh and they and there was people were rolling in the aisles during that scene um really? yeah because like it, it and it's meant to be uh and she said like yeah it's meant to be funny um you know because when she's kind of like oh brother as more people keep showing up and she's like no i have to kill you too you know um so but uh but then there's you know one person left alive and so she kind of goes on the run, um, you know, doesn't say anything to anyone. And as she is like kind of like making her way through like a train station, she sees a picture of a child um, who has been in the news recently that there's this child who's been missing for a long time. And now there's a sketch of what they would this child would look like in the present day. And she, for reasons, um, looks at this picture and is like, oh, I could look like that. And um, and so there is a very brutal sequence uh, of yeah. herself trying to contort her face in a way that would look like this this boy um, of repeatedly trying to break her own nose. And um, and then she basically, you know, uh, yeah, changes, gives herself short, dark hair, breaks her nose, binds her breasts and then just shows up at a police station is like, yeah, I'm the boy. And uh, and so they call this boy's father, who is um, a firefighter, and he shows up and you're thinking, like, OK, he's going to be like, that's, that's that's not my son. Uh, that is also a 30 year old woman. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, I mean, again, the through line to passing, people see what they want to see. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's all about, yeah, seeing what you want to see. It's about yearning. Um, and uh, so but instead. He, uh, the father, very, very, very emotionally embraces her um, and fully commits to this idea that this is his son. And so and now we're confused as an audience. (laughs) Now we're confused. Oh, also, I forgot the part where she had sex with the car. Um, There is a scene (laughs) earlier in the film where um, she uh, emerges nude from a shower and then is beckoned by her car in the next room. Um, that is, I guess, sending her the car version of like a you up text and, uh, and is like, you know, get your sweet ass in here. And she's like right away. And um, and then we see her in the back seat of the car um, with her arms bound by the seatbelt um, as the car bounces up and down suggestively. And we see her, you know, writhing and we're like, OK, she is having sex with this car. Is this real? Is this fantasy? Um, and, but then as the film progresses, she is pregnant. So on top of trying to hide her boobs, she's also trying to hide her enormous, rapidly growing pregnancy belly, um, and, which is causing her to leak motor oil from her breasts. Um, so all of that's playing out in the background. 
as suddenly she's like cosplaying backdraft and like being enlisted to to go and become a firefighter alongside her her adoptive father um and uh all the while we're kind of waiting for her to be found out but also wondering like does the dad actually know like what is what is the situation here um there are moments where it starts to feel like it's crossing over into a sexual place between the two of them um but then we'll go back from that and it's like okay was he attracted to her or to this idea of his son or um it is it is just it's a wild ride um and you know i i I feel like my my primary issue with it and it ends memorably um and i feel like my primary issue with it is just kind of like for 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 what exactly you know like what what is this what is this all all leading to um what is the reason for this story um which is a very you know a very american way of, of looking at it but um you know she had uh, at at the q and a ducournau was talking about like you know she was interested in the idea of trying to make someone who is abominable still um to inspire sort of like a basic human empathy for that person. So she was like, I was trying to, you know, create this person. She had the idea while she was working on Raw. Um, and uh, and she was like, okay, so how can I tell a story about someone who is apparent, you know, who is just a view, who does things that make her seem monstrous? Um, but how can I give them a sense of the relatability? Um, of just like watch of just like forcing you to go through their experience in this person's body, um, you know, to to kind of, uh, yeah, just to create that empathy of like, you know, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to to be this person? And is that going to change things? Um, so that that was her 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 point, apparently. And, and she she had she said she had the idea on raw. And I'm trying to find. I was I remember texting a friend to be like, "Oh, here's what she said about how raw made her made her think of this." But and there was also I don't know if you saw that there was a bit of a a dust up around this movie on the subject of um, you know did it seem transphobic in any way or you know is it uh, you know is it does it is it is it possible to tell a story about gender bending? without acknowledging the politics of transness. Yeah, she was she was thinking about the inspiration for for this for her um, had to do with she said the first scene of this movie was thinking about the sister in raw in her cell at the end and imagining what it would take to get her out of that cell and for people to feel empathy for her. Mm. Um, so that was that was the the first the first seed um, of, of this story for her. But uh, but yes, yeah, so the issue of of how this movie depicts um, the sort of like the, the the hallmarks of the transition experience, um, you know, there there is a very kind of there's a, a review of it that went viral that was hyper hypercritical um, of uh, of kind of the way that it takes things like you know binding the breasts and everything and just uses them in the purpose of the story that is not um, you know empowering <laughs> um, and not particularly sensitive, um, but. But it's it's a review that's been widely kind of ballyhooed even within the queer community as being like someone just trying really hard for a hot take. Mm. Um, 
but uh but but certainly but but it is there you know we do watch this you know this 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 woman transition into living as a man um even though it is under more traditionally sort of just like hiding you know just like going into hiding auspices rather than like a, a matter of her own identity and i mean it sounds silly because it is a very obvious um repeated scene of her binding and you know her passing as um this boy but i i felt like it didn't the movie was already so surreal and disconnected from the, like the human body at all that I, I I think that like I wasn't able to bring it back to like the, the real world experience of like a trans experience, you know? Yeah. It had already just started to go on such a, she was already pregnant with the car um, <laughs> at this point. So Cut her some slack. She's already pregnant with a car. <laughs> <laughs> that it it felt like it it maybe maybe it was a way she was representing wanted to represent herself now, or it was you know something she was doing to get out out of trouble. But either way, it felt like it wasn't both for the characters' motivations and for the movie. I don't know. It just didn't seem to re- reference the real world experience of of a yeah trans experience. I, I could definitely revisit that, but yeah, and, and it does feel like, you know, ultimately it it becomes much more difficult for her to hide the pregnancy than to merely hide her uh, her gender. <laughs> right, uh, right. Uh, as as things go on with her 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 car baby daddy, um, but you know, dads, it, it's, you know, this whole movie is <laughs> about dads. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's it's affecting. You know, anyone who anyone who has daddy issues is going to find a, a, a whole new story to relate to. And that's <laughs> well, well, you do have the, you know, the, the, um, the character of her, of the father of the boy who's missing. Yes. Because her adopted father is, is taking like hormone therapy yes. to, to be stronger. And, you know, yeah. that just sort of adds like, a, I mean, clearly I need to think about this movie more because <laughs> I haven't, but that that's like another layer there that after it, right. has this very um, tangible real world um, relationship to hormones and gender and, and body manipulation um, kind of happening at the same time as this other story. Yeah, and I, I, I would note the actor who plays the adoptive father is incredible. Absolutely. It is, it is an astounding performance. Uh, really, really incredible. But, you know, all told, at the end of the day with this movie, you know, I, 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 I've yet to figure out how I feel about it. And I, I, you know, watched it like two months ago. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, I admire the audacity of the vision um, and just the, the, the enormity of the freak flag that, that it flies. <laughs> um, I don't know that it ultimately amounts to much, Uh you know, like I feel like Raw was such a perfectly constructed kind of, but still very dark and violent parable um, about a relatable human experience of like, you know, of like her being sheltered and then this kind of parable of like being released out into the world and having to cope with your own desires one you know, when they go unchecked. Um, you know, in this is, you know, people talk about it as a sort of a coming of age story. Um, but yeah, I just didn't, I just didn't quite connect with it as much. Um, you know, and there's some people who would ding Raw as being too neat and tidy with its ending, but I mm. would disagree. I would disagree. Uh, mm-hmm. so, but this did actually remind me of, um, it reminded me a lot of Under the Skin as well. 
this movie. Um, and like some people are like, oh, this movie, this movie is like if David Cronenberg directed Under the Skin. And I I, I would concur uh, with, with that assessment. But, but yeah, I honestly don't even know how to rate this one. Yeah, um, I was going <laughs> to wonder what you were going to, I was wondering what you were going to rate this. Yeah, it's, a, it's, I don't, I'm like, is it a consume plus? I don't know. It, it really, it defies, it defies, it defies traditional ratings. Um, I think I'm going to go with consume plus just because I feel like it is ultimately, it still just doesn't come together cohesively enough for me to give it a full binge. Um, mm. I, I did. I remember when I, when I went and saw it with a friend, like we were both like, we want to watch it a second time. <laughs> um, because it is so much the first time you're watching it, you're just so shocked at so many points um that is hard to really process what you're seeing because you're just like what the fuck <laughs> um, <laughs> so but uh but yeah what are you what are you thinking yeah i mean similarly i i think um i don't know that it's worth what you have to watch if if i don't <laughs> have a good you know takeaway from it yet um but I have not given myself the time to think about it today. So while I don't think I could watch it again, um, I'm going to say send it back for now. Oh, but wow. I might, yeah, I might revisit that in the future. But you said you want to give Agath Roussel an Oscar. Yeah. That doesn't so, mean so, I think people need to watch this movie. Okay. so She so, already so, did the work. She should be rewarded for it. So, okay. So binge it for her performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the movie, you're leaning more towards send it back. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a tall order to ask somebody to watch this when, when it's just not clear how it all comes together, as you, as you noted. Right. Or at the very least, don't watch it at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is available to rent on any digital platform of your choice. And it is rated R, shockingly, I would think, Somehow. it's 17 for sure. It's wild. <laughs> it's really crazy. <laughs> um, that's it. We, we had a bunch of binges this week, so knock yourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> knock yourselves out. Parting words. That's it. Um, and, and we are now getting into award season. Uh, so we will not take three months to do another episode uh, because now there's a lot of movies we kind of have to watch because um, yeah. we'll do a year end episode at some point. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but I mean, I would say I don't even I can't even even fathom doing any kind of top 10 list at this point because I've been so underwhelmed by almost everything that's come out this year. Um, so the next few months have a lot of heavy lifting to do in terms of, uh, servicing worthwhile movies. Uh, but, uh, but yes, we will be back not in three months time. Uh, I probably shouldn't make that a promise, but I'll say we will, we, we will, we will probably be back in a month. Let's call it a month. Let's call Uh, it a month. Let's see how it plays out. Yeah. I think we can do that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, be sure to subscribe. Jason is on Twitter. Excess baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason You made it to the end, that's amazing There There goes goes the the binge. binge